0: Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 33.
1: We regularly screen students who enter school for things that we know might interfere with learning. We screen for hearing, we screen for vision, and we screen for even poverty. We ask about um, family needs. We screen for high mobility for students who might um, be home or food insecure We do this for so many things. We screen for academic difficulties in reading and in language. We rarely still, as a United States educational system, screen for risk for emotional and behavior problems that will interfere with academic learning.
0: You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hey, what's going on, teachers and educators, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. Uh, great episode for you today. Uh, I sit down with Dr. Kimberly Vanist out of Vermont University, and we cover a bunch of stuff on this uh, episode today. Uh, we start with kind of what you heard on the beginning there, this idea of universal screenings for uh, trying to find students who may have social, emotional, and behavior disorders, uh, and kind of what that would look like. And, you know, this, this COVID-19 pandemic has in a way given us a chance to reset a couple of different aspects of our education system. And I think this is one of those that we probably could benefit from as a education system is doing these universal screenings. So, uh, so we chat about that. We also chat about how teachers, uh, especially new teachers can begin to identify these students in your classroom, uh, and what to do about that. And then we wrap up with a a conversation around, uh, what she really likes to work or uh, research, and that is uh, using single subject case research, which kind of in a way is his research that we are already doing as teachers. Uh, It is essentially a way of uh, documenting change over time when the control for your study is the thing that is changing, is the people or the person who uh, you are implementing a change and you're trying to document that change over time. And so we wrap up with that conversation and um, really about how teachers can start to get involved and start to share the, uh, quote, research that is happening in your classroom literally on a daily basis. So um, great, great episode for you today. I'm excited for you to hear it. But before we get to it, I just want to remind you that a couple things. First is that we have show notes for every single episode. So this is episode 32. So you can find everything that we talk about on this show. Uh, you can find it jabbadoo.com show32. And a couple things that you will find there uh, I want to highlight. One is that we have an email newsletter that I send out. And right now it's really just a reminder that uh, a new episode has released. Uh, But in the future, you know, uh, hopefully with Jabbadoo, we're going to be doing some video uh, stuff. So we're going to be doing a couple different things. So we'll keep you up to date with everything that's happening with Jabbadoo. Uh, Number two is if you want to help support this show and support some of the costs that go into uh, publishing each of these episodes... Uh, you can do two things. One is every single show notes page has some affiliate links to any of the books that are mentioned. So if you hear a book that you're like, oh, I could use that book, uh, hop over to the show notes and use the affiliate link in the show notes. And that will just give a kickback to us. And then two is if you want to uh, check them out, there are some Jabadoo original teacher tees. And these are just, uh, you know, some quotes that are awesome for teachers to, to share your teacher pride. Uh, But they are original. You can only get them here at Jabadoo. So um, go check those out. And then last but not least, we would love to have you join us on social media. So check us out. uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash Jabadoo. Or Twitter.com slash Jabadoo. Or Instagram.com slash Jabadoo. I think I've done two posts. (laughs) Woohoo! I'm trying to do more of them. But uh, if you are an Instagram person, uh, check us out. Instagram. I don't even know if it's instagram.com find us on instagram at Jabadoo. that is the tag there so uh, but again all of those everything that you hear uh, on this episode plus all of those links can be found right there on our show notes page again Jabadoo.com/show slash show 32 and with that let's get into my conversation with dr kimberly vanist All right. On today's episode of the Jabbadoo Education Podcast, I am sitting down with Dr. Kimberly Vanist, who is a professor and the chair of the Department of Education at the University of Vermont. She has helped author more than 80 books, research articles, and software programs, including Behavior Assessment System for Children. And she serves as the president-elect for the Council for Children with Behavioral Disorders and works as a reviewer for federal funding agencies and leading journals in education, special education, counseling, school psychology, assessment, and methodology. How does that sound?
1: That sounds really close. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I didn't.
0: I didn't check with you on any of that beforehand. Maybe I should have. Was was that all still accurate?
1: It's close enough. I'd like. I'd like to create a fantasy bio, but I'm. <laughs> it, I've gone from president-elect to president of CCBD, so I'm currently okay. serving in that role.
0: Okay. Yes. Okay. So one edit check. Um, <laughs> yeah, and on on Google Scholar, I'm not sure if you've ever checked your profile on school, Google Scholar. It says that you have over thirteen thousand citations.
1: Wow. I I better get those checks in the mail to people.
0: (laughs) I I assume that means that people have cited your work 13,000 times.
1: Yes. Or that of fabulous colleagues who have
0: included me on their work. Also, 26 of those I think is (laughs) is what was on there. 26 uh, co-authors and all that stuff. Yeah. But I mean, an an incredible, um, that's just a a huge number and it's just uh, such a cool milestone, hopefully for you to hear that, that you've done that much work and it's being that receptive in the research world and and all that stuff. So um, congratulations for Thank you. Whatever that achievement is. Yes. <laughs> <I don't know>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of nights of lost sleep, but thank yeah. you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, we're going to dive into uh, a couple of things about um your research and and what you've been doing and some of your passions, but before we do that, can you just give us a quick synopsis of what was your experience as a student coming through uh, I know you said you grew up in Southern California. So, what was your schooling experience and what led you to what you're doing today?
1: So both my folks are uh, teachers. My dad um, and mom both started out as high school teachers. So I was uh, quite certain that is not what I was going to do. I studied uh, business administration, and decided that um, uh, after doing that, that education held maybe potentially more meaning for me for my life's purpose, life's work. And I was really excited to to branch out and do that. So I went back and got a teaching credential, and I. I taught high school initially in Southern California.
0: Okay. Well, and the subject? so,
1: um, business administration. Okay. Actually, makes sense. So <laughs> back back in the day, that uh, that included typewriters. So I was the typing teacher. <laughs> if you can picture that, um, had a couple now of. How it's just Apple... voice
0: to text. You don't even. That's need right. teach... They don't even teach typing anymore. It's just voice to text.
1: <laughs> we had. We had Apple IIe computers, that's how that I'm dating myself, uh, because they weren't sure, the school wasn't sure if it, computers were going to be a fad or not, so they didn't want to invest. <laughs> that's a true story.
0: Hilarious.
1: I taught accounting and fashion merchandising, which was a real class back then, and uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, a whole whole eclectic uh, crew of uh, subjects, but- Vogue um, ed. Yep. Yeah. What was uh, probably your, cause you're, you're still a professor, you're still teaching, you're still in that, but what are, what are some of the pros and cons of uh, teaching in high school versus teaching in college now?
1: <laughs> well, sometimes it doesn't feel that different. I, I also did a year. At, <laughs> guess, as yeah, uh, a, as year a middle school apart. teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, gosh. I, you know, I think you can find your passion in any age uh, age range or age group, depending on, where you're at in your career and uh, what what group of kids motivate you the most or um, give you the most energy. So there's there's definitely an energy to the little ones and uh, different energy for middle level and different energy entirely for for high school. And um, I have I've found a real passion for working with doctoral students. So that is my that is my current gig. I absolutely love that it is what, doesn't feel like work in any sense of the word it's just awesome
0: there you go and what are some of the, the like the doctoral students what why is that where you feel like you've landed
1: well i i think in in part maybe it's um you no know, reliving my own doctoral experience and how yeah. there's some kind of luck or or idiosyncratic uh, chance meeting between students and advisors and they shape you so um, so much in so many positive ways. My advisors, Tim Landrum and Ken Denny, had just a tremendous impact on my entire life and scholarship and what I wanted to study and who I wanted to be. And uh, it's really exciting to get to watch adults, students um, craft their own journey and find their own passion and and um, develop their own voice and their their Growth and trajectory is just amazing. It's just uh, it's so rapid and it's so transformative. So it's a it's a terrifically fun thing to watch, and I I feel privileged every time I get to participate in it.
0: Yeah, a lot of the same themes I think for for any grade level teacher, you know. But uh, I think uh, something that you just mentioned that kind of resonated with me was that it, it was where you had your joy right it was it was the transformation that you saw in yourself and now you get to pass on that transformation to these students in the same capacity as where you felt it right and I think that's probably ties in nicely with a lot of educators as well so
1: absolutely uh
0: yeah so your research now and some of the work that you're doing now um emotional and behavior disorders uh is is one of the uh facets of your research and what you work on so um obviously we all have, uh, students, you know, if we've been in education for a number of years, you, you get to experience students who have, uh, m- either minor or major social or emotional or behavioral disorders. So, um, can you just give us a brief definition, your definition of what is, uh, emotional and behavior disorders?
1: Well, that's, that's kind of a controversial question almost out of the gate. Every state, uh, defines it a little bit differently using a federal definition um, but it is it is an absence of the the pro-social behaviors and regulatory skills to to be successful in school settings so when students start to fail academically because of emotional behavioral needs or reasons that's um, sort of the lay person's version
0: right. of that definition. Yeah. And I, I guess one of the challenges probably for a lot of teachers is, especially if they're if they're very minor, they, they might not be picked up, right? They might kind of fly under the radar as, well, it's just the student's personality, right? It's not a disorder. It's just a personality. So what are some of the uh, like safety nets that can be put in place to catch some of these students? I know before we hit record, one of the things you said you uh, are hoping for that you're an advocate for is just universal uh, mental health screening for students as they come through. So obviously that could be one that that seems like the best possible net. <laughs> am I am I thinking of that correctly?
1: I I think so. We uh, regularly screen students who enter school for things that we know might interfere with learning. We screen for hearing, we screen for vision, and we screen for even poverty. We ask about um, family needs. We screen for high mobility for students who might um, be home or food insecure. We do this for so many things. We screen for academic difficulties in reading and in language. We rarely still, as a United States educational system, screen for risk for emotional behavior problems that will interfere with academic learning. And what I find so tragic about that is that it's so doable and it is so uh, cost effective in terms of a return on investment for dollars Mm -hmm. and so critical for children getting the maximum that they can out of the educational opportunities that are are in front of them. And now I would think more than ever, we're seeing the tremendous impact on students pre-K through Grade 12 for emotional, social, behavioral needs. And if we're going to really fundamentally change educational outcomes in this country, I think universal screening for social, emotional, behavioral problems is one of the places we need to start. It's not yeah. nearly enough, but it it should be a fundamental part of what we do as an educational system.
0: It's, it's definitely also a conversation about equity too you know what is, is. an equitable uh learning environment for each student that, yes it definitely seems like it would play play into that so um but for the for the schools and the classrooms that don't have universal screening which is I would say the majority of us uh, it is. what are what are some what are some of the things that are uh commonly put into play that? Um, Either teachers are, like if you've been around for a while, you are aware of some of these structures uh, to catch some of these students. Um, But if you're just a a brand new teacher, uh, what are some of the things that you should be looking out for uh, to help catch some of these students?
1: So a a number of really talented teachers out there either learn to do this explicitly or do this intuitively, um, both in general and special education classrooms in looking out for signs of distress in students either internalizing students withdrawing students um, having poor self-regulation students uh, engaging in ways that that seem depressed or depressive compared to their same age same peer group um, using kind of a local norm type of a system but there are there are inherent biases in that practice mm-hmm. and it's can be pretty problematic so it's It's not a recommended way to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Universal or school-wide, district-wide screenings take some of that bias out um, by having teachers, parents, students rate themselves or each other, which is, I know, beyond the scope of this conversation. But um, also students who have attention kinds of uh, challenges, hyperactivity, um, and it maybe is manifesting as academic problems, but it, in the classroom, but it may have an undercurrent that's actually an emotional, behavioral need. It may not be a, a learning difficulty in that way.
0: Yeah, and I guess that that's a there's there's also this argument that well, is it a disability or is it just uh, a struggle, right? And where, where's right. the balance? And where's where's how do we draw that line? Because it is yeah. not a it's not a hard science like uh, chemistry and physics where okay, if I put X amount in why comes out, right? Um, we're humans. And <laughs> there's so many different variables that, that go into play here. Um, it's going to be a challenge to not only identify, but then um, individualize the, the, the services that each student's going to need, especially when we're talking about uh, emotional and, and behavioral disorders.
1: So let me respond by saying, I, I think we do actually have a, a really rigorous science of human behavior. And while there are certainly variations um, between and among individuals, there are some things that most of us agree are the kinds of emotions and behaviors that cause problems for individuals or for others in a community. And, And that identification of what we find acceptable and not acceptable, I think has played out on a national stage even with recent political events regardless of which side of the issue you fall on it is sure. essentially a discourse about what's okay and what's not okay and one of the reasons that we engage in assessment or in a formal assessment process is to have a scientifically based determination about if the range of behaviors we're seeing lead us to believe that the student is going to be having chronic difficulties without intervention. And to be able to broker those resources and channel that type of individualization to say, what are the strengths of this individual? How can we build out an educational system that's individualized? What do we need to help these types of um, problems not interfere with long-term life Mm -hmm. outcomes? And that's really the, the whole point in the nutshell.
0: Yeah, and we just that uh, as you're saying that, what comes to mind is I just had uh Dr. Oh um, goodness, uh, William William Hunter, Dr. William Hunter out of uh, Memphis on, and we were talking about MTSS and RTI and PPIS, and that just it seems like such a nice fit for what you just said there. So uh, we'll link his episode in the show notes. So if if anybody wants to hear more about those systems and how they work together to kind of create an additional safety net, um, we can go listen to that as well. So.
1: Um, Yeah. Can I touch uh, back on that? Uh, One of the things that I notice sometimes with novice teachers is a fear of speaking out. Hmm. And when I've engaged with schools at looking at kids, you might have elevated levels of risk. I want to be clear that we're all at risk for for any variety of things. But when you have elevated levels of risk in student populations, sometimes new teachers are a little concerned to share their thinking or their ideas. And it's not until they get with others that they either feel validated that they are seeing something that looks different in the classroom or looks um, problematic or challenging or worrisome. Or they may meet the experience they have the experience of someone telling them, no, I don't think uh I don't think that is problematic or I don't think uh, I would do anything about XYZ. And what I would say is there are so many resources out there that have good evidence-based, validated research protocols, backgrounds behind them, that folks can get both local insights, but to also look for external um, ideas or validation for for thinking about kids, and to to pursue assessments uh, when that gut checks tells you that there's just right. something that needs to be addressed. Because if we provide additional services, teaching, teaching social skills, teaching how to say no to a teacher, teaching really simple things like how to self-regulate or how to um, advocate for yourself. Mm. If we teach that and somebody doesn't need it, it's probably not going to do damage.
0: Right, (laughs) yeah,
1: right. But if we skip it, when we know that one in four adults is going to have uh, issues with anxiety or depression, and we never talk about these things in schools, mm-hmm. in ways for just self-awareness, um, kind of psychoeducation to understand that it's not something that means that that there's something wrong with you, but rather how to seek help and how to advocate for yourself, then we then we we're not using that um, safety net. We're we're missing it. Yeah. And I think that's a, a critical, important, I don't know how many times can you say critical or important in one sentence? <laughs> It'd be a good thing to do. Yeah. So I encourage novice teachers to, um, yeah, if you see something, say something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I we obviously, we've got the uh, exit ticket questions that have the resources, but can you just uh, share some of those resources right now, just while they're fresh in mind, what are some of those things that uh, novice teachers should go check out?
1: Well, there's a variety of centers out there. There's the National Center on Intensive Intervention. There's also the um, National Center on Positive Behavior Intervention and Supports. And I would encourage you to also look to the universities in your region or your area and see who might be around that can offer additional um, advice or expert opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one of the things that you said um, just there is that, you know, what's... I've heard this said before that what's good for students with disabilities is good for all students. Right. So
1: sometimes, um, yeah, <laughs> but it probably sometimes. won't, probably won't hurt them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, yeah. I've never heard that, uh, expression, but it, it makes sense. Right. <laughs> makes sense. Right. Yeah, so.
1: I don't want to, I don't want to suggest that I think that, you know, all kids are the same or that, um, there, there is good teaching that is good teaching for everybody, but there's also a whole skill set of really specialized instruction for individuals that have more complex needs or things that don't fit within the sort of normal distribution of 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 needs in the classroom. And that's that's part of the reason why we have special education, so that students mm-hmm. can get additional and have protected um, access to education
0: yeah yeah very cool um yeah so uh let's transition then into the last thing that we're going to touch on was just uh your a lot of your research that you do is uh, around single subject research which uh we said earlier was is kind of uh unique to education psychology and some of these um what you might call softer sciences right uh what is a single subject research like uh um not project but uh
1: design design what is it sure there you yeah. go what the heck what is it, it what is it what and is how, it how anyway
0: can, how can teachers like what is it and how does it uh, benefit students in the classroom i guess
1: sure so single case experimental design um has been around for a very long time in education and psychology and special education it's very commonly associated with applied behavior analysis but um, these types of research designs are also used often in neurorehabilitation rehabilitation or in the communication sciences or in epidemiology. Anytime you're looking at an individual or a, um, a, a single case, which might be more than one person, and you're comparing a baseline condition to a treatment condition. So rather than have a sample that has two very large groups of people one being control, one being treatment, you're essentially setting up the individual or individual case as the control. You're introducing some type of change, intervention, strategy, program, and then you're taking repeated measures across time to look for differences. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. In, in the classroom, um, if you were interested in someone's, let's say, homework getting turned in behaviors. <laughs> you might have a baseline condition where you're measuring how much homework is getting turned in on a regular basis. You might start a new program or, a, or an intervention to reinforce homework completion or to set up a peer buddy to check to make sure backpacks come in so that the kid has it in a classroom that they can turn it in. And, and you might continue to measure how much homework is getting turned in to see if that works. That's a pretty simple illustration. yeah you might have uh, an, in another example, you might have uh, math test scores for by by week or by day these quizzes that say twenty percent accurate, twenty percent accurate, 30 percent accurate, and then you start a new program again, maybe it's peer tutoring, maybe it's using a classroom reinforcement system or a token economy. maybe it's you're changing your teaching strategy or your style. maybe you're doing more manipulatives more, Um, more project-based learning. And then you would take those same test scores and see if they go up to 30, 40, 50, 60, 80%. And and through that, if you repeat that process enough times and you have more than one replication of that demonstrated effect, you can have some confidence that what you're doing is making a change in someone's behavior.
0: Yeah. Now, this is uh, something that I've been uh, a little more interested in recently is just this idea that teachers are doing research all the time, whether we know it or not, whether it's documented or not. You're always focusing in on one student and OK, here's let me let me give you extra help here. And does that help? You know, does that change something or or this class is not responding to this? Assignment. So let's adapt and change it here. And then, oh, look, they responded now. And okay, let's continue to do that, right? This is all just undocumented research <laughs> to a certain extent. So, um, you know, it, I think there, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this podcast for the first time, you, this is the first time you're hearing me say this. Uh, there's definitely a gap between uh, research for education that does not take place in the schools. Right. And not that it doesn't take place in the schools, but that's not being led by the schools. Right. I think there's this notion that we we rely on, uh, you know, universities and research centers to come do the research. And that's not like that. That doesn't have to be the case. Teachers can document as long as you document it the right way and you put it together in, a, in the right way. You can publish research directly out of your classroom to different uh, different locations and, you know, it, it have an effect that's just outside of your classroom, I guess is kind of where I'm going, is you can have a greater effect on the overall education world just by doing what you're doing already and letting other teachers know about it uh, in a evidence-based way.
1: I think the more teachers can share the results of their in-classroom experimentation or learning, um, the better off we'll all be. Ideally, teachers would be reaching out to researchers and saying, can you help me test the efficacy of this kind of a practice or program? What are you seeing here? What measures would we use? And those would be brilliant pairings between people who have the time, energy, and job description to go look at research, find the proper instruments, do the direct observation, and the teacher who is the heart and soul, art, and science of what's happening with our students in schools. I mean, teachers, you say teachers are doing research in classrooms. They absolutely are undocumented, (laughs) as you said, and they're doing everything else all at the same time. So they are the most amazing uh, people for their ability to interact with this way. So and they don't have time for self-promotion or uh, letting other people know about what's going on. That's that's really great in their classroom. So the more they can partner with people outside of the classroom in institutions of higher ed, I think we'd all be the better for it.
0: Yeah. And I think it, unless you're in an extremely rural location, you're probably no more than an hour away from any institution that's doing research. So the accessibility is likely there. Um, and I think those. the
1: pandemic shows us that you can be as rural as all get out. If you can get your car to a hot spot, a Wi-Fi, <laughs> or, um, or work with a district to, to make sure you have Wi-Fi access, you can get to a university.
0: Yeah, it's uh actually the yeah somebody else on a on a previous podcast and uh, I do such a horrible job of remembering exactly who said everything but talked about uh, it was a a a, a star initiative I, I believe is what it was called we'll link I'll find it and link it to it in the show notes but it was essentially that it was there was a specialist who was uh, located one place but they had these webs that went out and branched out and they did Zoom meetings and they had a community and they were helping teachers in very rural areas of the country um, address some of these very specific needs of some of the students that were coming through where they might not have a full-time behavioral analyst or they might not have a full-time special education teacher. Um, but they still had the connection to do that, so we'll link that in the show notes uh, if you want to hear more about that episode. Uh, and forgive me, whoever whoever the guest was who was talking about that, it, my, the name escapes me right now. But um, speaking of though, I, I was going to wrap up with this before we head over to our exit ticket questions. Um, obviously, the the pandemic and the Zoom fatigue is real. Even though here we are on Zoom having this conversation, um, and there's such a need right now for students with emotional disabilities and with um, Cognitive disabilities and all this stuff that are missing out on some of this interpersonal stuff. Um, what would be one thing that you would say, teachers who maybe are utilizing a hybrid or a virtual classroom right now? How can you still meet the these social emotional needs of a lot of these students? What are what are some good strategies in that
1: sense? Oh wow, that's such a big question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, can you bring me back for a second podcast?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you prepare. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Well, so
0: I'll, I'll I'll start while you think. I'll just start with something that I've I've done this year is the first five minutes of each of my classrooms or each of my classes. I just start out with something called good things, and I just let kids tell me, "Hey, what's happening outside of school that's brought you joy recently?" You know, or what are you looking forward to? And just having them share it and and be excited about it for a little bit um, has. Has I think elevated the uh, just the positive atmosphere of a virtual and digital learning environment.
1: I, I love that. I I think you're speaking to the idea of being connected or connectedness, mm-hmm. and this can be a time for great isolation for um, students who may be spending the best part of their day at school, even when they put their heads down and don't act like it. It may be the safest, warmest place yeah. that they have, and some of those. Um, healthy environments are no longer accessible to them. Others are, are at home. They may be perfectly warm, safe, and full, but um, parents are working um, as as we both are. And it can be um, a stressful home environment just because of the onset of the, the pandemic. So yeah. I do think maintaining those personal connections, giving kids opportunities to um, take breaks, uh, work with peers in small group settings, you know, the breakout rooms, and then being really flexible about timelines and deadlines so that students who have additional needs at least get the opportunity to get those needs met. And then to watch our use of, of punishers and, and punitive interactions mm. so that they're not aversive. What I'm, what I hear from teachers is that, oh, those, quote unquote those kids um that are that are struggling just don't come they drop off they don't show up on screen and so where in a physical environment they're still there in a virtual environment they're harder to chase down
0: they are extremely hard yeah um i've had that experience too yeah we're you know you've got 20 20 kids on the list and oh there's only 18 here today yep sending send a message gotta those... reach out yeah yeah, it's
1: the same too. So if if we can create a space that is um, safe, uh, at least there may be a desire to come. Um, and then we can work on the logistics of, for those kids who, who can't get there or are struggling with that piece of it, as opposed to putting up barriers with a lack of connectedness or a lack of caring. Mm-hmm. And then you have two barriers. One, the technology or access, the physical access, and then the you know a motive of access of i'm not wanted there yeah
0: um, it is it is not an easy time for anybody but uh yeah it just a, re- a reminder to just make that a little extra effort to reach some of those students who uh like you said we they might just kind of drift off into the shadows and we don't really know that there's a problem but just to acknowledge that you know, we need to, we need to go out and we need to meet them and rope them back in, because like you said, this, this might be the only thing that they have that's going positive for them. Um, just and to ask, so. ask
1: for help too, I think. So for, for the teacher in the classroom, um, it is, it is very difficult to be all things to all people at all times. <laughs> so identifying that somebody's missing and saying, I need help to find this kid. I need help Whomever, whoever that is, a a counselor, a school psych, a principal, an assistant principal, a a coach, a a teacher down the hall of of where are our lost ones and what are we going to do to round them up and try to redivide the work so that um, we can take on some of those additional tasks.
0: Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Well, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, because I know you said uh, you're running off to something else. So um, is there anything you wanted to touch on here before we wrap up and go to our exit ticket questions?
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So this, uh, I end every episode with our exit ticket questions. So these are the same four questions that I ask everyone. And the first one then is, uh, do you have a book recommendation that teachers should read?
1: Uh, yes <laughs> read something fun pursue a hobby <laughs> <laughs> choose choose something that will help um, refill you during a time when there's so much being asked of you you're always showing up and saving the world and uh, right now you're you're doing it from your phone or your laptop in a room with a who knows, uh, however many other people competing for that same bandwidth. So, so pick a book that is fun for you and, um, make sure you take care of yourself.
0: Awesome. So I that love you can that take one. care of others. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the, it's the, uh, the mask on the airplane rule, right? Take care of yourself it before is. you take care of others. So, um, that's the first time that <laughs> a book recommendation has picked something that's enjoyable for you to read. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, question number two, then, is uh, do you have a digital resource or a digital or a hard copy or just general resource uh, that teachers should check out? I guess we, we listed a couple actually earlier, didn't we? we with, yeah, with we did. Those, we listed you know, a
1: couple. Um, I, Council for Exceptional Children also has a list of uh, good resources available. AERA, you know, any of the professional nice. educator organizations.
0: Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah. Any, any organization that is for like for me, it's Pennsylvania music educators association has a ton of resources, right. And then they have a yeah. conference each year. So yeah, if, if you have never been to an education conference, make that a priority. Um, cause mm-hmm. you get so much out of those conferences and you, you just come back, filled up, like you said, uh, filled up and ready to go. So question number three, yeah. that is, uh, if, um, what, what would be one piece of advice that you'd like to give teachers, maybe particularly teachers who are just starting out their careers?
1: So my my new expression this year has been to manage your energy. We always talk about managing our time. And I am saying manage your energy because time is limited. Energy is not. And the second part of that for me, for teachers, is to know your worth. That what you're doing for students every single day and their families is making an impact. You may never see it. It may be five years down the road, 10 years down the road. If you stay in the position you're in, you may get to hear from that student much later about the impact you made in their life, but you also may never know. You are, um, in the words of someone else, planting a tree that other people will sit in the shade. I think that's how that goes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. know, your, know your worth, because the sometimes the, the, the students and families aren't aren't thinking about it enough to tell you. So let me tell you, you're important, really important.
0: I love that. Thank you. And then the last question is, if anybody has any comments or questions about what we talked about today, where would be the best place to send them to reach out to you?
1: I would love to hear from people. Kimberly.venest at uvm.edu or you can look me up on Twitter, spedprof, S-P-E-D-P-R-O-F.
0: And we will have those linked as well as everything else that we talked about in this episode linked on the show notes page. So you can just go over there and check them out there. So. Wow! Yeah, Doctor Kimberly Vanis, thank you so much for joining me today, taking your time uh, to chat with me, and thank you to JT Taylor again for hooking us JT. up. JT. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I think shout out to probably him. Probably four, four or five now that he's that he's referred. He's like, oh, you got to do this one. Oh, well, you have to talk to them. Oh, well, tell him about this. Oh, well. You-. <laughs> I love JT. He was he was really enjoyable to talk to, and I've I've been thrilled with everybody that is in his inner circle. So yeah, big shout out to JT again.
1: <laughs> terrific, terrific guy. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: So, and he was a for again. If you're this is the first time you're listening, he was a prior episode. So we'll link to his episode as well. I think that's and he three, was a long episode.
1: Yeah.
0: He <laughs> was, but you know what? It's just a good, good old time. Walking tacos <laughs> talked about walking tacos. I put that in the title. Anyway, we'll have all that there. Yes, man, oh man, thank you so much for your time. This is thank been
1: awesome. you, thank you, and and check out resources and conferences that. That council for exceptional children offers on a national or state level. Also, there's the teacher educator conference for children with behavior disorders that happens in the fall every year in Arizona, in Tempe, Arizona. That's a great one, great time. There's the Midwest Symposium for Leadership and Behavior Disorders in Kansas City, usually in February. That's an awesome one. Um, and then there are great research conferences out there too. But there are there are so many ways to get involved. So find your professional community, join a group, and um, have a great uh, have a great rest of February. It's February,
0: right? <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's still
1: February. <laughs> <sighs> have a great
0: February. Uh, Dr. The Kimberly or, ooh, <laughs> we're, we're at the end of our call.
1: We're at the end. <laughs> Kimberly yeah. Vanist,
0: thank you so much. This has been wonderful.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: And there you go. Big thank you again to Dr. Kimberly Vanist for joining me on, and taking the time out of her schedule to do that. Uh, and I've got two things that I want to highlight on this episode. Uh, the first one goes all the way back to what we talked about at the beginning, which is this idea of universal screenings for students. Um, and I think what, you know, what she said is that it, it would be both cost and energy effective to identify these students early on in their education, as early as kindergarten, right? Right. Um, if we think about it, uh, so my wife is a, is a pediatric audiologist, so she uh, is working with students with hearing loss uh, all day. And I can only imagine if if we don't do uh, hearing loss screenings for, for students, they do them at very young age, but think about like kindergarten, right? Student comes in with a hearing disability, and if they don't know that they have hearing loss and a teacher doesn't know it, they might think, oh, this student doesn't listen very well, and it might not be identified until third or fourth grade. Can you imagine the amount of time and the amount of energy that is lost uh, on, that, on not providing that student with the appropriate uh, help, right? So it makes a ton of sense to do these universal screenings very early on, identify these students so that we can give them the services that they deserve. Uh, and I, th- I just think that universal screenings for this is just a cool way to do that. So the second one is... Uh, again, this idea that we as teachers can be researchers, uh, and I think that this is just something that I might start pulling together and start uh, putting together this nice little package of the basics of setting up a research study, uh, how to complete the research, and then how to publish it. because. Believe it or not, you don't need a PhD in order to do that. <laughs> you just have to do the correct work to make sure that the study is valid and that it is accepted by the uh, the greater research community. So, um, be on the lookout for that in the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, that I I feel like I that might be something that I start to work on. So, all right, that is all I have before I send you away. Uh, just a couple of reminders: that one, go check out the show notes. Jabadoo.com slash show 32 got links to everything that we talked about on this episode. Plus links to, uh, two ways that you can help support this podcast. One is looking at the affiliate links for the books. And then the other one is checking out some of those Jabadoo original teacher tees, uh, two or three. I don't even remember <laughs> whatever it is, whatever's next. Uh, we've got an email newsletter. So, um, would love for you to subscribe to that. Uh, right now it's just once a week, just reminding you that, a new episode's out. Uh, but, you know, if I, if this is something that I do with uh, putting together this, uh, you know, b- the basics of setting up a research study, uh, you will definitely get notified by that via the email as well. And then last uh, is connect with us on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They're all there on the show notes page. So, would love for you to check those out. And with that, I will set you free. <laughs> so, until next time, go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabbadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, Please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.